Welcome everyone. Thank you for joining us in this webinar about scaling your software company through sales partner channels. Prior to the webinar, we received a number of questions. We'll take of care of these questions throughout the webinar. As most of you already know me for a while, I'll keep my introduction short. As I've been in sales for more than two decades, I decided to use this experience to start my own business in delivering sales execution services. In Tenego, I found a solid partner who shares my thoughts about serving customers with services to grow their business. Today, I'd like to introduce to you Tenego and share our experience with building sales partner channels. But let me introduce my guest first. My guest today is Donna Kiernan, founder and CEO of Tenego. Thank you, Summer. Hi, all. Yes, it's good to be on the this webinar with you, Summer, today. I'm a techie by background, so I started developing the software at a very, very young age in college and then one of my own software businesses, delivering services in some of the major global technology companies, and then moved into more business development services when I realized I was a sales guy. That was a depressing day. But see, in progressing my own capabilities in starting to Nago to help technology companies, help software companies achieve international growth and try to make that task easier, more effective all the time. And that has become my mission in, in, in creating Tenego and working with people like Salmar around the world to help companies be successful around the world. Basically, Tenego are sales channel development experts. We operate in a hands-on mode, working with our clients' executive teams, helping them on partner recruitment, on partner management, and partner program development and making their programs overall effective. A little bit about our typical clients. Our clients are all software companies. We understand software business. That is our focus. The companies we deal with, they can range in revenue from 5 million per annum to maybe hundreds of million per annum. But the common factor in all of them is that for the particular products that we're working with, they understand precisely who the customer is and they understand how to sell that product so what's working for them and it's this that we capture and seek to accelerate in working through sales channels many of our clients already have partners but looking to build a greater structure and maybe enter into new markets with their products we operate in a very process driven with very defined methodologies across everything we do the benefits to our clients on this is about optimizing your time optimizing the times of our partners, knowing sooner, faster what's going to work, and so on. We have executed partner recruitment, partner management projects in every continent around the world. We have done this from remote locations. We've done this through our on-the-ground capabilities as well. And as we continue <coughs> to grow, we're representing companies from UK, Ireland, across Europe, across US, into multiple regions around the world. Thank you, Donna. In the topic today, scaling your software company through sales partner channels, we want to highlight the challenges of growth and where sales channels fit into this. We will discuss the typical challenges and pitfalls in channels and share our approach and experience in delivering for our clients across the world. What are the key challenges that no doubt everybody, everyone participating or listening uh, has and is experiencing? We all ask ourselves questions like how to increase shareholder value. Shareholders want to return on their investment and want to see the right activities to maintain growth in shareholder value. Even if you are a shareholder as well, as part of the executive team, questions like how do we increase margin? How do we make every deal create a bigger impact on the bottom line? 
how do we improve and deliver efficiency, how do we increase deal size, and how do we sell more to existing customers. Another one is how to grow revenues. Uh, how do we win more customers, but also how do we win bigger customers, and how can we improve marketing and sales effectiveness, winning more with less expense? How do we expand existing markets, and how do we expand into new markets? Another one is, what do we do to improve our proposition on products and services? How do we get a more compelling customer value proposition and or a greater competitive advantage? And how do we get greater number of references from customers? How do we resource our plans? How do we use the more effective use of funds, funding the right areas at the right time to get results? How do we manage risks? and how do we optimize returns. So Donna, can you talk us through the key benefits sales channels can offer us in meeting this growth challenge? The growth challenge is set out is really, I mean, that's all these challenges are challenges pretty much everyone on the session or listening in after. It, it's to put a context in all of this, right? And then to question how do sales channels fit into this, in that challenge, right? First thing in fit build a scalable engine for growth. Scalability is where you increase the revenue line but not increase the costs or, or increase the risks as you go. And you want to create an engine that somewhat can operate by itself and giving you multiple sources of revenues uh, and so on. You're looking for faster growth. So you're looking to create a channel partners that will give you a sale maybe faster than you can get. And we'll talk through that uh, through the session and continue that faster growth. There's many things to be lined up. Obviously, if you seek to partner with a company in a different market, it's giving you that instant market reach once you've got that partner enabled. It's meeting the growth challenge in giving you greater potential in different markets. One of the greatest advantages of working with sales channels, you're using their cost base, their previous investment, and you're leveraging up their previous investment of their salespeople and the relationships they have on the ground to get that return. So you don't have the same much greatly reduced upfront investment in, and leveraging off the value that they can deliver. And multiple revenue sources. So it's not just based on your own sales engine, your own direct investment. If you have multiple partners in multiple markets, multiple different types of partners even, that's giving you revenue sources and a more stable overall revenue base than just a single source. And the bottom line of all of this is increased shareholder value. What's going to create more value for your business is by increasing the potential of your business and continually to progress to meet that potential. Just a position where channels fit in that overall growth challenge. How do you enable the channel? So if the previous slide was all about the advantages of doing so, what are the key aspects on making it all work? And the first thing in any business is that compelling customer value proposition. And I'll, I'll talk more about bottlenecks and businesses later, but if you have a clear customer value proposition, it's easier to win business. And when you're engaging with a partner, the clearer that is, the easier it is for the partner. Therefore, it's easier to get, get that partner on board. The next thing is, yes, you have de-risked the decision for the customers. You have case studies. You have reference customers who will say how good you are. It's the proof points that you are good and your value proposition does stand up. In working through partners, you need a partner value proposition. And a compelling partner proposition is showing that, yes, if they sell your product, they make good money. 
if it's just on license share, it adds one challenge. If you have good services revenue for them, that is much better, particularly for a system integrator or a services-driven company. Next thing is enablement. It's one thing to have all the other things right, but then if you don't enable that partner to sell, if you don't kind of support them properly in, in that process, it doesn't have the same impact. And many frustrations in sales channels come from poor enablement. To that end, partner fit. So I describe partner fit as you want to understand the partner's business and then understand how your product fits within their business. It's when the partner doesn't need to change how they do business and your product just fits into it, into that process. And that's how well that partner fits, how well your product fits with that partner. I think one of the questions, why should I work through a partner channel and not through a direct channel? I have salespeople uh, on my payroll already, so why use partners? So this is this is a complex slide. And so you, might, you may have seen this sort of calculation before, so, but what we're showing here is a sales process. So from lead generation, qualified leads, presentation, demo, evaluation, and close. And then we're looking at the first line here is the cost of each activity. In this particular scenario, which is a demo scenario, they, it was a competitive market. The leads were generated through trade shows, events. They were expensive leads. It's where relationships mattered. So at trade shows, worked well for this company in this scenario, right? So 92 euros per lead is expensive. And even when you look at the next stage, 100 euros in further engaged to qualify that lead. The presentations, getting different people involved, it's more expensive. The demo, again, different setups and tools, and the evaluation is making it more custom, proof of concepts of the costs are increasing at in each interaction. And then with legals involved in closing the business, there was a cost there. So just they are the costs of each interaction. Then we look at the success rates. So 14% coming from leads to qualified lead, 35% presentation, another 35%, 40%, 50%. And then doing a calculation backwards, how much does it cost to win one deal? And this is where the scary bit comes out. So when you start doing the percentages back, this is where you get 292 leads to get one deal. And then when you start doing the costs at the stage, and then the costs to cumulative as you go through it, you see here that it costs 54,000 to win that deal. Now the deal size in this scenario varied from 75,000 per annum to 250,000 per annum. So it was worth it in this particular scenario. The one thing to talk about here is the cost it takes to get enough qualified leads to get that one deal. We're showing 31,000 here. And it is typical that it costs 50 to 60% of your marketing sales budget to get that lead to a credible, a credible introduction or the same value as a credible introduction. And that's, that's what we're showing there in that 31,000. Now, a few ways to look at this. In a sales process, how do you achieve fast results or earlier revenue? How do you reduce the cost at each stage? Just to make your sales process more effective or get a better return on your sales investment, how do you reduce that 54,000 overall and get a higher margin in the deals? And what affects the overall return on your sales investment? Now, this one opposes the scenario of what the partner can do. If you consider a partner company who has multiple relationships in their market, with the relevant decision maker, they have a commercial relationship already, they have a trusted relationship already. So in that, 
can they deliver 41 qualified leads or 14 to presentation stage much more cost effectively and faster time and money than you and so and that's the question and that's the value in the partner now this is a calculation that you can do on your own business and if you haven't done it it is going to be scary when you start working out how much it takes to win a deal to win a new, a new customer but when you start looking at what a partner can bring then you start setting out clear assumptions of what you expect from the partner to, to do the same as what you can do. That's a good starting point. The value of the partner is getting that 14 faster than you can and cheaper than you can, thus the benefit of sharing a result of a deal. The other benefit of this, it doesn't cost you anything other than your management costs, recruitment costs and so on, but much less than what's here to get that partner active, right? So in that scenario, you're justifying the investment in the right partners generate deals for you. Otherwise, you're investing in your own salespeople. That's all your cost. Working through the partner is deferring any cost until you've won a deal or the bulk of. Again, this is a complex slide. If there's any questions, happy to discuss. There is a question, not specifically about this slide, but we have a question. Can international sales channels be an option for software that does not require much consultancy? That's a good question, right? So I'm just wondering, do I park it for a later discussion? I might come back to that one, Selma, right? And thank you for that question. It is something that I will address. I won't talk any further about it. I'll come back to it later on on a later slide. I'll keep track on it. The person answering it, I will be monitoring it. When we engage in sales channels, there are a lot of mistakes you can make. What is your summary of the most commonly made mistakes in setting up sales channels? First thing I point out, there's a blog article and we did a webinar on sort of the 21 common mistakes in sales channel development and it proved to be our most common, most popular article. And I just want to give a summary across that 21. Right. Now, and the first thing I'd say, look, for a company to start into channels and partners, they're obviously going to look at the larger companies that are doing effectively channels, like a Microsoft, like a HP, an Oracle, and so on. And they start to copy their program. Actually, what they start to do is copy parts of their program without understanding the full context. And some of the things they might start copying is even the way they describe their partners and what they want. And you see it so much around the place. They have a partner page on the website and that, that means to have a partner program. It doesn't. It doesn't mean to have a partner program. And yes, what's this what is the standard commission share or deal share with a partner? And that's a common question. The answer to that question needs put in the context of the overall proposition for the partner. Again to uh, Vooter's question there as well, if it's only license share, they may need more license share to justify the sales expense. If they have services on the back of that it may need less license share. So when someone looks at Microsoft's program and they're given such a percentage, oh yeah, I must do that because that looks like it's industry standard. When you go back to the cost of sales and the cost of delivery, it's, it is a question among all of that on what that is and what they need to do. But the big errors here in this is copying segments of someone else's program without understanding the context. An element of that one as well, and again, what I said there is people spend a lot of time and effort building up their partner program without engaging the market and then engage in the market and find that that was just literature. It didn't really explain what they're doing. Whereas you know, if I believe like whether you're a startup company or an established business, you only learn by engaging the market and you engage the market with what you believe with just enough analysis to what you believe is going to work for your business. And in 
validating, demonstrating, proving that it's working for your business, do you develop your partner program out of what is actually working? Right? Not partner page that looks like you want the world to look like your partner program, but it plainly look it only looks like you want a partner program and you don't have one. It is one of the mistakes if you see too often. Another thing is sort of too, expect, too high expectations. Now there's multiple facets to this. Too high expectations are from a single partner. Yes, you can enter a market and you can go full focus and spend money and drive your salespeople directly to win deals in a certain way. But when you're working with a partner, you're already part of their business. They're not employees. So they're not going to act for you in exactly the same way. They may act better once they're enabled and supported, but it's not going to ramp up as fast as you. That has to be proven first. They have to build confidence in how it all works. One of the related things here, when you start working with a partner, how long does it take to get the first deal? Well, firstly, how long does it take to recruit the partner depends on how compelling your partner proposition is. How long does it take that partner to close a deal? What's the length of your sales cycle? Can it be shortened by their relationships and so on? Or is there an annual budget cycle that needs to come into play anyway? The expectations of what can be achieved needs to be discussed in each particular case. Poor partner proposition. Again, back to the question on how much license share do you give to the partner? You're going to make good money out of this. Why shouldn't you just change what you're doing and go do it? Uh, firstly, the partner's business has a plan, right? So uh, you suddenly just change the plan with every new proposition that comes along. That proposition is at best if it fits with their business, does partner fit? And it needs to be equal or better to what they're doing currently or at least complement what they're doing currently. And partner proposition is not just about license share. It's about my next point. It's about the supports you're going to give them to make it easier for them to sell your product. I tend to, I prefer talking about partner supports as opposed to partner management. And I regularly ask uh, resellers uh, of some of the large vendors, do they feel that their partner manager is someone they report to or someone who supports them? And, and more often it's someone who they report to, which doesn't seem to be the right relationship in my view. Next thing, again, I pointed out in the previous slide, lack of clarity on what you want from a partner. Too often companies make a deal with a CEO and expect it just to happen on its own. There's more to it than that. A plan, how do you, what's it? clear expectations and a clear plan with that partner. And then inefficient partner engagement. Again, it is all about enabling the partner. It's all about sort of seeing it through the full process, not just dealing with the CEO. It's about engaging with the team, engaging with the people who are interacting with their existing customers, interacting with the market. Interesting. And I think the most of the people will recognize a lot of uh, these kind of things if you engage with partners. So we've seen some challenges. We've seen some mistakes you can make. What would be the an approach to growing your challenges or growing your channels, uh, meeting your challenges? How good the participants do it well in our point of view. I'm happy to share sort of our experience and, and when I say our experience collectively across sort of uh, the Tenego team and the greater team including sort of uh, Selmar and people like Selmar and what we're doing in the marketplace right there are challenges but how can this be done in an effective manner and how do you learn sooner that it is going to work. I want to talk about sort of a, a business engine first of all and so and talk about scaling a business. So firstly if this represented your business process from lead generation, cl closing sales, delivery and support. This is your engine and obviously your product is enabling all this to happen. So then start looking at bringing partners into the mix. What you're really doing is delegating stages of your business process to a partner. So they need to have particular capability 
that your business process represents. What's it take to generate leads in your particular sector for your particular product? Qualified, closed deals. What's it take to delivery, the technical competence, you know, the engagement, management with the customer and so on. Support, what does that mean? And then what does that mean in the various regions as you take your product in different international markets? Like in any business, there are bottlenecks to growth. So what are the key bottlenecks in your business today? So in scaling your business, what's stopping your growth or what's the greatest barrier for growth? There is one primary bottleneck in your business and much of your effort should be dealing with that primary bottleneck. I want to throw a few things. Is it more leads? Is it greater delivery capability? Is, is it having a greater brand in a particular marketplace that it flows more deals because of greater credibility? And these are different things that partners can help you with based on what you need. The greatest barrier bottleneck in any business is how the compelling nature of your value proposition, your customer value proposition. The more compelling your customer value proposition, the more your product will sell itself. The more it stands out from the competition, from the noise, the more it will get attention of the customer and the more response you get, and therefore driving a sales engine. The less compelling your customer value proposition, the more it has to be sold. And when you start working with partners, equally, the more compelling your partner value proposition, the easier you'll engage with the partners you want. You may have partners coming to you today and want to sell your product, but are they the right partners? Are they the most effective partners for you? If the partners are coming to you, then you must have something of value. To be able to package that and go after the partners you really want is something that could be based on your plan, what do you want, as opposed to on the plan of the partners coming to you. So just again, it's the alignment, is the partner fit. The two important points, as we find it, in making your partners work is firstly, as the title of the slide is partner type selection and it's partner fit. Partner type selection is about understanding the right partners for you. How do you define them? What type of companies are they? What type of product, solution, services mix are they? And where do they exist? When you look at your overall market ecosystem from your customer's point of view, where do they exist? So that's the partner type selection. And the other one is partner fit. The partner type selection gives you a criteria to be able to generate lists, we'll say. The partner fit gives you a structure to evaluate them. And I'm going to talk through those points very, very quickly. So I am going to go very quickly through this. What I'm outlining, this is, this is our internal way of doing things, if you like. This is how we work in Tenego. And this is a structured process in, in the first few weeks is about partner type selection in helping companies define clearly using their own previous experience and using our experience, what will work for their business. It's a very structured methodology. I'm going to go through that briefly. Going into later stages in the partner recruitment, this is where we execute. This is where we generate lists with respect to partner companies, evaluate each company, and kind of seek to, to engage with them, engaging them with a proper proposition that's going to get their interest. And step four, this is where we're engaging with decision makers on behalf of our clients, securing their interest and evaluating them with that partner fit evaluation. And I'll go through the outline structure of that shortly. And then you have market engagement plans, and then you have sort of agreements, and then you have the structure by which you're going to support them, or management, if you like. What is a partner type selection? So you've seen this slide earlier. This is where we want to capture the capabilities. So if you look at your own business, what are the capabilities across the different stages of your sales process, the different capabilities you need in delivery? When you start thinking to yourself, a real bottleneck in a business is where you need more proprietary knowledge, proprietary about your way of doing business, proprietary about the technology you deliver. So do you need 
your specific capabilities in sales or your specific capabilities in delivery. And if that's the case, it's hard to bring that into a partner. The more you can package it and train it as a capability, the more industry standard that capability is, the more likely you find partners that can be effective for you. So this is why understanding the capabilities across your business process is important. The next thing is, yes, we understand the capabilities you want, but what are the capabilities that exist in the market? So from your target customer's point of view, which is this layer here, what are all the companies that exist, the company types, I would say, first of all, that exist in the marketplace that are engaging with your target customers and decision makers in the needs that you solve and related needs. What is the world of your decision makers? If you were to get into their heads, what type of solutions, services, kind of consultants, you name it, are they engaging with? So above the layers here are the various influencers that help them drive the needs of their business, but also the peer networks that they will engage with to learn more about how they do their business and all the various events that these people would organize. Below the line, you have the, the consultants, the trust advisors, you have the various service companies, you have the various IT services and system integrated reseller companies. And then down below this, you have all the various solution companies that exist. The reason we build this ecosystem is to understand the world of your customers, understand potential company types that have relationships with your customers, and then, we understand the capabilities you want, the company types represent the capabilities that exist in the marketplace. And then we start looking at what company types might be able to help you get to the customers you want with the right capabilities you need, and thus this type of an evaluation. So selecting the company types from the ecosystem that might be able to help us, how good are they according to your sales and delivery process? Would they be effective for you? And that's what's been scored here, as well as other key criteria we're looking for in a partner. So we want a partner who already has a customer base that can sell your product. We want a partner who has credibility in engaging with a decision maker in your space, who can ask the questions that draw out whether you have an opportunity with that client or not. You're looking for credibility. You're looking for influence of that customer. Not all company types are going to have it equal. Not all company types are going to be equally good at lead generation, but this is what we're scoring. What's most effective for you? A very important one here is the opportunity for the partner, and this is really questioning the strength of the partner value proposition. So as you see this, and you see this sort of summary, this is the priority, prioritizing the partner types for business. And then this summary sheet here is showing us the opportunity for the partner, the benefit to the client company, and how much is this based on evidence or based on opinion of smart people in the room? And as I said earlier, smart people in the room only learn by engaging the marketplace. So you are truly looking for evidence. The opinion is important, but must be validated by engaging the market. I'm going to talk again briefly on partner fit. So what is partner fit? There's two sides to this. If this man in many arms up here represented the, the business leader, he's very busy. He's got many things uh, to deal with, to, to contend with, and we want to find something that we believe is a good opportunity for his business. And in this case, we want to understand his business. We want to understand his customer base. We want to understand what drives his business model. Is it service revenue? Is it product license sales? And what is it? In understanding his business and how he makes money, understanding his plans, what does he want for his business? And then do you really understand, okay, then you know or start to know whether your product fits within his business. The final point I'd say on the 
the top level here is, is their capabilities. Understand their business first of all and your product fitting in, but then you have to assess whether they have the right capabilities to suit your business. The second side of this, and the man running after his laptop there, is the busy sales team, we'll say. How well does it fit to the sales team? And so you can't just consider the top level business leader. You have to consider how it fits within the organization. And fitting in the organization is understanding, as I say, every interaction with their existing customers, every interaction with the market. That's marketing and sales, it's account management. And once you know that, then you're engaging with the people, with the relevant stakeholders, who can influence a decision where your product comes in. And the bit here is you are looking to get mind share off their busy day and give them an opportunity to meet their targets, to earn more revenue from existing customers or maybe easier to win new customers. It must align with what they currently sell. Otherwise, you're starting to create a situation is you're asking them to change their business for you. And as I always say about partner fit, the less you ask them to change their current business and that you fit in that current business, the more likely it is to succeed. We do have another question, but I'm yep. not sure if that fits here. Let's go. Yeah, I think it's an I think it's an interesting one. Uh, we, we we pick it up here. The question for for everybody, in my opinion, is the question: a referral partnership can be be a step up to a reseller partnership. Easier to start up a partnership and time to investigate mutual commitment. What's your opinion? I agree. I agree with that. So sometimes it is a big ask to ask a, a reseller or a system integrator partner to full on engage your product. What you could do exactly, I agree with person, right? So what you can do there is work with them to generate the initial leads and then to validate that there is a business there. And one way of doing that is putting the referral partnership in place. It's the challenge you have with a referral partnership, it's not proactive. And it's just it to come across something. It's not, it can be very non-committal. Yes, you can have a referral partnership with so many referrals a month, and you can do that. The bit I prefer is the de-risk it. Yes, let's sign a referral partnership today, but let's agree to work together to see if we can generate interest from your particular customer base. And we will roll in with a particular campaign, support you in doing that, so you're not bearing the full cost and effort. It just to add another line to that. Let's take that from Wouter. Okay. question was, can international sales channels be an option for software that does not require much consultancy? Software sales price is around 1,000 USD per month. Average consultancy per deal is 5 to 10 uh, five to 15 consultancy days, priced around 1,000 to 1,200 USD per day. Yeah, without knowing the full details, right? So the short answer is it, it can work, right? There are some, um, there are a few things to consider in this. Again, not knowing anything about your product. The, if there's no implementation effort on your product, right, then it's purely licensed share is what you're offering. In some cases, the product is sold and the organization may get other revenue. It might enable other revenue. It could be added value to an existing product. It might be helping them sell more of something else. And that's something that's kind of, that you, look, you always look for. In some cases, you may not be selling the relevant services, but the client may be buying other services following your product being sold or maybe prior to your product being sold. So in some ways, it may enable other revenue to take place. And maybe not just other services, but it could be other products. And this is why the ecosystem approach to it, which helped to draw out these opportunities, if that's what it was. But in some cases, there, there are companies out there who will absolutely resell product for license share only. 
there are many of those. In this case, there is consultancy involved, so that might be of interest. But I think the interesting add-on here is uh, if there's related services or extra push on other services from the partnering uh, company, it might uh, uh, very well work to package uh, a proposition to an end customer. Wouter, happy to discuss this with you. Reach out if you uh, like to have that discussion with me. You know where to find me. Just to understand a bit more about if you engage with a potential partner, what do you want to know about them? So as, as I mentioned, you, you really want to understand their business, right? And, and the first thing is all about understanding how they engage, the type of customer decision makers they're dealing with. And you want them to have the customer and decision makers the same types as you want. You don't want to just enable them to move into a new market, put your product into their tool bag and make them look better. You want them to have customers now that engage with now. That's what you really want. And they want them to have a marketing engine that continues to look for that. When you start the questions in there, you want to look at what are they currently selling to these customers decision makers? Is what they're currently selling of similar complexity, similar technical nature, similar deal size, similar deal shape? The business model, the revenue model of what they're selling is very, very important. And I've seen often where a vendor company might be very defined, no, no, I only charge on a recurring license model but they want to partner with somebody who's selling only an initial license fee. I'm sorry, you're going to have to change. So if it doesn't fit with their current charge model, you know, it's just not going to fit with their business. It's unlikely they will change. Now, the world has gone more kind of recurring license model anyway, but you do see that say, business model clash reasonably regularly. The other thing is kind of strategic product and services mix. So it may fit with their business current products today, but where are they going? You want to know where that company is developing and what new products they're going to sell, what new services, what new markets they're going to move in. You want to know where they're going. Do they, do they fit into their future plans? And then do you fit into their business neatly now in what they're currently selling and help along that path? So the reason I state the first one on strategic first, in some cases you see companies announcing that they have a certain functionality and that the market trend is moving in a certain way and then they say they have it, but you know they don't have it. But if you have it, you can get in there and help them move in that direction. You're filling a gap for them. You're helping them move on their plans. And, and then as you move down this, as I say, understanding how they engage with the market, how they understand how they engage with current customers is important because each one of those engagements, you want to feel out how you can help them engage with your right materials, marketing activities, sales support, be there to help, make it easy for them to sell your product, make it easy for them to remember your product, provide the right information, the right materials all along that engagement. And last thing on this one is uh, people and culture. The, the, the most obvious one here, if you're a premium uh, centered company at a premium level market and you're not going to partner easy with someone who's low cost. And that's a simple one. But generally, are, are these people, is this a company that you could work with based on the culture of your own business? One of them was, what type of partner should we seek to partner with? So we did outline an outline methodology kind of to, to approach that. How do we decide whether to use direct or channels? So again, we outlined a, an approach on that also. Is there a defined approach to get partners to practically sell your solution? A defined approach practically get the partners to sell your solution. So I'd say the first thing there is around partner fit. 
and then and the next thing is about sort of that engagement and support side of things on the partners but again it depends on the specific case and question there how long does it take to create an effective sustainable sales channel network let's be clear it, it doesn't take a few weeks no generally in just be clear on the words here in this question right an effective sustainable sales channel network I always relate this back to when a startup company is trying to figure out what will the market accept? Will the market accept its product? How long does it take that company to learn what the market accepts? How long does it take that company to learn how to best market and sell that product? And then as it moves up the learning curve, how long does it take it to learn how to partner with that product? It gets faster and some products learn much faster than others. But some of the questions earlier mentioned about the proprietary nature, how trainable is the sales process, how trainable and transferable are the technical skills. It can take 18 months is a short cycle. And again, effective and sustainable. You can have it profitable within 18 months, but is it effective and sustainable all the time? You need multiple partners, the onboarding, the management support side of things, that can take time. Again, we regularly come across companies that are considering the markets they want to go into and the, and the dropping, yes, let's, we, want, we want to go into this market, this market, this market, and it's based on they may have a customer in that market. They may know somebody in that market. In other cases, it's based on the markets closest to us. Some of these are valid reasons, but they're not all valid reasons. What, what I'm, I always urge people to do is to have some basis of that decision. Don't be limited by language. But being a very small market in Ireland, Irish companies uh, start and think global, think international at least, very much straight away. If you have a large local market, you're less inclined to think that way. US companies, for example, they have a very large local market. So the UK, Germany, France, they're large local markets. So you find good, sizable companies in these markets before they look at going international. And, and going international is someday, sometimes for the large company can be a bigger challenge. But the first thing you need to consider in looking international or the, what markets you might prioritize is where can you deliver into? Now delivery is, is about if you had a customer in that market, do you need local capabilities on the ground? Do you need uh, your product to be in that local language or local compliance regulations and, and whatever need is in that particular market. So understanding where you can support the customer technically and whether relationship-wise, whatever is needed. And that's, that's the first thing. The second thing is where is the greatest opportunity? And the table I'm showing here is, is something we use and build for clients, which is a decision tool in effect. And start looking at top-level market indicators that are specific to their industry, to their target customer, and there might be an indication that the customers have a need in that market and spending money on solving that need. And, it, and to be able to create this decision tool across multiple markets. But there's different numbers in this that we highlight, and we, we continually expand the, sort of the intelligence in this, and to create this index or rank to be able to show which markets are easiest and most appropriate. And the colors on the chart are to some company or some markets for limiting include them in or out based on certain parameters and so on. But this gives a decision tool to help people prioritize what markets. Now the good thing I find, but, but particularly the approach we take on this is that in an executive team there's many views, many opinions on what markets to go to and it's, it's hard to justify it unless you have some structure to prioritize and this helps in those scenarios. Very quickly, 
Hey, again, I'm conscious of time. I'm going to highlight, say, a process on partner recruitment. And the bit here is, again, operating on the basis of optimizing people's time. Be clear about the partners you're going after. It's a process of securing interest, a process of evaluating that partner. Be clear about, sort of, we're not traveling to see everybody until we've evaluated them. So there's a technical evaluation and there's a product demonstration. And now, as we get more comfortable, there's something real here then the relationship can be more important. Many companies seek to build partner networks based on relationship alone. That takes a lot of effort. It takes a lot of effort and it's not scalable. If you look at doing a clear, very clear evaluation up to a point and then when it looks right, then go build the relationship, then build that market engagement plan, then do your agreements and then support and thereafter. The onboarding, and you're looking at how to be most effective doing that in a structured manner as well and not spending too much time. You want them to become somewhat self-sustainable, but you want to give them the right support. So you have to figure out that balance. We do have an interesting question. Shall we take that? We have seen best results with partners that focus fully on our uh, product instead of what we call supermarkets. And knowing the business of Wouter, I uh, can assume what he means. What's your vision on it? I think in the end it all has to do with a partner value proposition on yeah. the one hand and a good partner type selection on the other hand. Yeah. So yes, fully focused partners will bring revenue but that doesn't exclude others. Some help on getting the partner proposition a bit more compelling for the partner yeah. might be helping uh, here too. Wouter is arguing both sides of the, the scale on this one, right? So someone who's totally dedicated to your product as opposed to a company who has a very large portfolio of products, which is kind of a lot of noise and it's hard to find a mind space in that. So yes, absolutely agree. If you have sufficient uh, license and services revenue coming through that they're totally dedicated to it, it's hard to recruit a partner that what you want them to look at. You want you to take on a product and be totally dedicated to it. It's a big ask. So yes, you can start slowly and build, but if they have a small number of products that are reasonably complementary back into the same customer base, that's, that's a nice balance because you can get them started easy and you can build. I hope we've answered the question there for, for Wouter. It speaks for itself. Sales channels are ideal for international growth. Reducing upfront investments while providing market reach is one of the new clients. As we just said, key factors are customer value proposition. If your product is good, if your proposition is good, the partner will sell it more easily, will refer you to new customers, and your partner will do so if he has a good proposal from you too, which is not the same as your customer value proposition. Be specific in what you want. What type of partners are you looking for? Uh, what what capabilities does he need to have? And finally, in what market you want to operate? So the world is big. If you want to expand internationally, we uh, can support you everywhere. But uh, don't do it all at the same time. Yeah. I think uh, be smart, be specific, and uh, do it step by step. That's, I think, the best way to approach it. So that brings us to the end of the webinar. I'd like to thank you for your time. Thank you, Donna, for joining me in this webinar. And thank you. Uh, for everybody, we hope you had a meaningful session. Should you have anything you'd like to share or discuss with us, please get in touch. Yeah, looking forward to speaking to you and have a nice sunny day. So I would add to that, uh, Salmar, is that they're on the Tenego website, if you see that the slides are going to be available here, and on the resources page of the website, there are many previously recorded webinars covering different topics, and on the blog page, many other articles too that you might be of relevance to your business. 
But uh, no, it's great to be talking to everybody today, and uh, thank you. You're all welcome. Thank you for the nice remarks in the questions bar. Yeah, looking forward to speaking to you. Enjoy okay. your evening. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. All right, bye-bye.